Father, we thank you for your love that uh, makes us want to sing. Sing your praises, sing about your grace and your mercy and your goodness. And we pray that uh, during this worship time this morning, you will fill our hearts anew with uh, who you are, with your spirit and your truth. We pray that our worship would please you, would honor you, and would draw us closer to you and to one another. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. There are a number of uh, things in the bulletin uh, about upcoming events. 
uh, Good Friday, Easter. Uh, please take a look at those and uh, hope that uh, you'll be able to participate in those. Um, particularly want to mention, if you're interested in being baptized Easter morning, uh, let me know. We'll be having a class in the next few weeks to prepare for that. Also, um, you'll notice that uh, we have new email addresses. We've kind of been spammed and hacked to death, and it's really caused havoc with our addresses. So we are having to change those. It's kind of a pain, but we're trying to get the word out to you as much as possible. Uh, We're finding it takes a lot of time to uh, get our names back on those spamming lists again, so we're all working at that. But No, I'm just kidding. Um, We we are running from that. But uh, we uh, we appreciate your uh, patience as we uh, transition that. also, uh, many of you have participated helping our youth group as they have been a part of 30-hour famine through World Vision over the last number of years. They are again participating in that this year. One thing that we're doing different is the children in uh, WKFM, Western Kids for Missions, uh, they will be uh, they're putting out a jar in the back um, after Sunday school today, and they're going to be helping to collect funds for the youth group in preparation for that event. The youth group is still going to be uh, soliciting donations from us as congregation and outside of that, but this is just in addition to that to help support uh, this uh, ministry of World Vision. So uh, over the next few weeks and uh, into the next few months, if you have change in your pocket or, as they said, they will take bills uh, of any denomination, if you have a chance to throw some of those in, that will just encourage the, uh, the youth group as they, uh, again, participate in uh, the 30-hour famine in May and uh, give this, these funds to World Vision. Also, we're continuing in the community Bible experience, reading through the New Testament. Um, we have had a, a uh, request to see if anyone is interested in maybe having a discussion group about the readings, maybe meeting for an hour or so during the week. If you're interested in being a part of that or doing that, you can contact the church office, and we were, we we're working to try to put something together over uh, the next few weeks to uh, bring people together to talk about some of the readings and the things that uh, God is saying to you as we read through the New Testament. We want to uh, give you opportunity to uh, give back to the Lord from all the ways in which he has given to us. And then ask the ushers to come and assist us as we give our tithes and offerings.
As I walk with you, I'm learning what your grace really means. The price that I could never pay was paid on Calvary. So instead of trying to repay you, I'm learning to simply obey you by giving up my life to you for all that you've given to me. I ask you how many times will you pick me up when I keep on letting you down? And each time you'd like to offer your prayers at the altar rail, please come and join me. Father, we are in awe of your grace. Your grace that forgives us when we sin again and again. And your grace that gives us strength to overcome to be victorious, to love and to show mercy and to commit ourselves to truth, to be your people. We are in awe of your grace. We come to this moment of prayer today recognizing how much we need you. How much our world needs you. We feel the demands and the the pulls and the struggles of life. And we come to you because we know that you are good and you, you are merciful. And we can trust you. Father, in this time of prayer, we pray for all of the needs and the burdens that we bring with us today. Things in our own lives, things in the lives of those we love, things in this world. And we lay them at your feet. We continue to pray for all those who are grieving. We think especially of Bonnie Szymanski's family and others who are connected to us. And we pray for your healing power in their hearts and souls. 
We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. For Bruce and Jeannie, for Donna and Bill and Bev, for Edna and Linda, for Micah and Bob, for Bill and Crystal and Emily, and for others that are on our minds today. We pray for your healing power at work in their bodies, minds, spirits. Father, we continue to pray for our world, and we think especially of the situation in the Ukraine. We pray that you will bring peace where there is such great potential for war. We pray for other places of the world where there are people struggle with famine and disease and drought. And we ask for your mercy. We pray for your church around the world. So many of our brothers and sisters who face opposition, persecution, the threat of death. We pray that you will strengthen them, empower them, protect them. We pray that their witness will bring about transformation. And we pray that their example will inspire us in our journey, in our lives. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for helping us in our daily struggles, in our daily obligations, in our relationships, in every part of our lives. Give us grace to continue to give our lives everything about our existence to you. And to find in you joy, peace, love, and grace. We ask this through the name of Jesus Christ. The one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Following the scripture reading, children may be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Luke 21 through 19. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you're doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, well, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from human origin? They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he'll ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they're persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. He went on to tell this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one they also beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I'll send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. 
So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken that parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. This is the word of the Lord. Stir our affections to love you more. Turn our attentions from this empty world. Help us count all things for your name lost. That we may know you more and the glory of the cross. Come change our hearts. Come change our hearts. Come change our hearts. Come change our hearts. May we believe you satisfy more than anything. May we respond to Jesus Christ. Please be seated. 
We were warned when we uh, went to get our dog that little dogs have an inferiority complex and they have to prove themselves. We have found that over the almost 14 years to be true. We, um, you know, we, we love our dog and he is, he's a really good dog, but there is this continual struggle of who's going to win, you know? If you have pets, you understand that. And a good example of that was uh, last week. Cindy was, was gone and, and I was, uh, it was supper time and I was home with the dog and I did, we've been having some issues. He had some, some uh, health issues and so we had given him some human food to help his stomach a little bit and he kind of liked that and he didn't want to go back to his dog food and so we were having this battle with him about this. So I decided this was the time I was going to settle this. And I was going to show him who was in charge. And so I, I put his dog food out for him. And I went in the other room. And I'm in the other room and I hear this noise. I, it's clanging and banging. And, you know, I, I hear his collar, the little things on his collar clanging all over the place. Just all this noise. And I come back in the other room and I stop. And he has taken that food and he's just strewn it all over the kitchen floor. And he's standing there, you know, you never know what quite's going through the dog's mind, but he's standing there looking at me as if he's saying, really? You, you really want to do this? Because I can do this all day. <laughs> you know, I, I, I will win this battle. And I'm like, oh boy. You know, it, and what, but what I discover is that a, a 10-pound canine is not the only one struggling about control. We do too. In fact, every single one of us wrestles with control. We want to control so much of our lives, control our relationships, control things with uh, with our job, control things within us, and control a relationship with God. It's a part of our nature. It's a part of the struggle of sinfulness in us. We want to be in control. But as with all of the other issues related to our struggles, this is not something that just started with us. This has been going on since sin first entered the world. And one of the, one of the prime examples that we see of people wrestling with control and their relationship with God is the story we've just read from the Gospel of Luke. It's the last week of Jesus' life. He's in the temple teaching And the scripture tells us that he is teaching the good news of the kingdom. He's telling people about God. He's telling people about how God loves them and cares for them and the grace of God in their lives. I have in my mind Jesus repeating what he says in Luke chapter 4 when he sits in the synagogue in Nazareth and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind, the good news to the poor. That the kingdom has come. Jesus sits there and tells them, God loves you. He cares for you. He's sharing with them all the good news that is the kingdom of God. And in the middle of that conversation and that teaching, the religious leaders come to him and they say, Hey, who gave you the authority to do this? Who gave you the authority a few days ago to throw the money changers out of the temple? Who gave you the authority to say things about God that we haven't approved? Who put you in control? It fascinates me that they are far more interested in the issue of control than they are the great message of God in the kingdom. And in fact, I don't know that it means that much to them. All that matters is we're in control. And I think as they hear Jesus teach, all they can think about is what's his hidden agenda? What's behind this? Because everything in their life is all about hidden agendas. Everything in their life is about control. Why would they think anyone else would be concerned about anything other than control? 
It's the only way they can process life because they are so enamored with being in control. And so their only question for Jesus in the midst of this awesome teaching about who God is, their only question is, you do realize we're in control, right? Who gave you this authority? This is our house. We're in control here. Jesus' answer to them is fascinating to me. It's one of those un-Jesus-like moments. You know, it, it's one of those responses that, that shatters the box that we put around who Jesus is and our description of Jesus. Because we love to do that. We love to think we've got Jesus figured out. We understand everything about who Jesus is. We, we've put him in our box and we've closed the lid, and that's Jesus. And we, we, can, we can tell you every response that Jesus is going to make and why he's going to make it. We understand it perfectly until we read the scriptures. And this is one of those places where Jesus says to them something that we would not expect. Now, this response is something we might think we would say, but probably not something Jesus would say. He says to them, all right, I'll tell you what. I'll answer your question if you answer mine. We may have done that to other people. Says John the Baptist. Did he come as a messenger from God? Or was everything he did just simply on his own? Was it was it divine or, or human? And the religious leaders huddle up among themselves because they don't know what to say. And, you know, if we say his message was from God, if he was sent from God, then Jesus is going to ask us, then why didn't you believe him? And if we say, no, he wasn't from God, it's just some human stuff that he did, the people are going to riot because they all believed he was from God. And they are stuck. And so they come back to Jesus and say, we don't know. See, they realize... Whatever, if, if they say John's message was from God, then that, they're going to have to acknowledge that Jesus was from God because he has connected himself to John the Baptist. They're interwoven together. They can't admit that. That would mean they're not in control anymore. That would mean they were wrong. So they say, no, we, can't, we don't know. And Jesus says, fine. You don't answer my question, I'm not going to answer yours. Sometimes people don't want an answer from us. They just want us to know that they're right and we're wrong. And Jesus is, I think Jesus is trying to to shock them out of this mindset they have that they are in control, that that everything is is about them. He's trying to shake them up and, and they don't get it. So he turns to all the people and he says, let me tell you a story. And tells them the story about the tenants. What's fascinating to me about this story is when you get to the end of it, that the tenants would think that they could kill the son and the the owner would say, well, I guess I'll give up and give him the land. What would make them think that? All I can figure is that they are so enamored with controlling, with greed, with power, that they can't really think straight. They can't see straight. They're just going to grab and get whatever they can, even if it means murdering the owner's son. What's fascinating to me is that they get upset about it. They're angry, not because of their behavior, but because the parable indicts them. Here they are. The irony is, the par- they are, Jesus is saying... You guys are going to kill the son. And the next thing you see, they say, let's plan how we can kill the son. Their response is, hey, we've done all the work. We, we've t- taken care of it. You know, as the tenants are saying, we, we took care of the vineyards. We protected them. We did all the work. We should get everything back. But it's not theirs. It's not really theirs to control. 
It's been given to them to nurture and to work, but ultimately it belongs to the owner. If you go to a a fund manager and you invest your funds with them, and the time comes where you go to them and say, I'd like my money back, and they say, what money? I'm the one who did all the work. I'm keeping all of it. I think that would bother us. I think we'd, we'd do something about that. They're so enamored with power and control. It's the only way they can think. And when you get to the end of the story and says the owner is going to come and kill them, all the people say, oh, God forbid. Surely that's not going to happen. I used to think that their response was about how the tenants behaved, that they would kill the son. But I really think, the more I think about it, I, th- I think they're saying the owner wouldn't really do that to the tenants, would he? God wouldn't really do that to people, would he? Surely God isn't going to judge us, is he? And Jesus says, well, what does it mean that the cornerstone that the builders erected is going to be judgment for some folks? You see, this is one of the things about the cross. Is that the cross that is mercy and grace and love and salvation and redemption is judgment for people who reject it. Paul says the the cross is foolishness for people who are unwilling to surrender to it. The cross is a stumbling block for people who who reject Christ. And it's it's so sad. I mean it's heartbreaking to think that this this means of salvation and grace and love and mercy would become for some people judgment. And condemnation. I mean, it, it ought to break our hearts. And if it bothers us, how much does it bother God that people are so obstinate that what is intended to be their salvation becomes condemnation? It's not because the cross is different for them. It's because of how we approach it. If, we, if our desire is control, if our desire is I'm going to run my own life and I, don't, I'm, I reject whatever Christ is, is offering me, I reject what Christ wants to do through the cross, then we're going to get what we want. If we come to the cross in surrender, then we get all that the cross was intended to be. It really comes back to this issue of control. Are we going to control our lives? Or are we going to let Christ control our lives? And control is hard for us. Because giving up control can be frightening to us. You think about the things in your life that, that you... you take your hands off of and you simply say, I'm going to see what happens with that. I'm going to let people run with that. There is this bit of fear that they're not going to do it right. They don't understand. It's going to end up in a mess. And we are always tempted to get back in, reach back in, save, rescue, fix it. Because underlying all of that is we know better than they do. We want to be in control. And we do that with God all the time. God, I know how to run my life better than you do. Giving up control is frightening because I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where this is going to lead. I don't know where this is going to end. It frightens me. But God's point is not to frighten us. It is to inspire trust in us. 
His point is not that giving up control means that we're going to live in fear. But giving up control means that we're going to learn what it means to trust the one who went to the cross for us. And who loves us. And who is the source of grace and mercy and forgiveness and salvation. And the good news. And giving up control is simply letting Christ do in us what he wants to do. But our human nature wrestles to let go. To release our lives. And the problem is, while we may not end our relationship with God by hanging on to control, we aren't experiencing what God truly wants us to experience. We live life so far short of what God's intention is if we will just trust him. And his desire to control our lives as we give up control of our lives is so that we will live in the fulfillment of all that we were created to experience as his children. Wherever the path may lead us, whatever we may encounter. The question we face is, how do we do that? How do, we, how do we release our lives? How do we give up control? I think most of the time, we do that in small ways that over the course of time become a pattern, becomes a pattern for us. Let me offer a few suggestions. I think one thing that, one way in which we give up control is, is to be willing to, to learn from unexpected people and circumstances. God loves to teach us through the unexpected. To, to move us to people, to circumstances, And to teach us in ways that we wouldn't have thought he would do that. The unexpected causes us to trust. See, when life goes exactly the way we think it should, then we don't really need to trust. But giving up control means that we are looking for ways in which God may want to speak into our lives through unexpected people particularly. So you think about people in your life that you might say, what would I possibly learn from them? What, what, could I, what could God possibly say to me through that person or through that circumstance? I, I know more than they do. I'm further along the journey than they are. I've figured things out more than they have. I'm convinced those are some of the very people that God wants to speak into our lives if we're willing to do that. I I read a story about it uh, back in the early part of the 20th century when the railroads were, were the big part of America. They built Grand Central Station in New York City. There were uh, the reporters there that were called red caps, and they were, you know, they'd carry luggage on and off the train for people and, and, and served people in that process. And one of the guys, his name was Ralston Young, and he, and he was a red cap, but he hated his job. He hated carrying bags for people. When people asked him what he did, he, he said he, he worked in leather. That was as close he could get to saying what he did without really lying about it. He hated his job. He hated serving people like that. And then he became a Christian and everything changed. And he began to embrace his job and he began to embrace helping people and serving people. And and he began to, to talk to people about Christ. And when people, when he could tell someone was down, he'd just say a quick word to them. And, and it got so people came to know him and, and they would ask him to pray for them. And he would stop right there on the platform and he would say brief prayers for people. 
And, and after a while, after a number of years, people recognized him and they would go to him and seek him out. And then they, they said, you know what, we'd love to have a gathering of prayer. And so there were over, over uh, lunch times... There was an empty railroad car off on a side track, and they would get together in this car with some of the people who society didn't want. And he would pray for them, and they would pray together, and he became a spiritual influence for them. But then it began to spread to so many more people until eventually some businessmen rented office space in downtown Manhattan for him to, be, for him to go to, and people could come to him and pray for him. And he became known as the Red Cap Preacher. It's fascinating to me how God used him. But you know what's even more fascinating to me is that these businessmen, who as we tend to judge life, would say, what does a a, a lowly Red Cap have to say to me? Realized God was speaking through this person. And embraced him. And God used him to change lives. What unexpected people might God bring into our lives that we might not think he could say anything to us through? I also think that it is important that we, that we give up control by embracing what's uncomfortable for us. You know, we love things that make us feel comfortable. That chair that we love to sit in, the restaurant where we eat, the place where, where we, um, places we go and the way that we do things, we get into routines. And, and comfort is good. We tend to operate much more effectively when we feel comfortable. But we, if you've been with Christ very long, you know that he loves to challenge us with the uncomfortable. And instead of fighting that, he's calling us to embrace it. We let go of what is just merely comfortable. Some of you have read some of the things that Donald Miller has written in Blue Like Jazz and other books. And and he he has a lot of challenging things to say to the church and and, and a lot of things that make us really stop and think. And, And I like a lot of the things that he says. He wrote a blog recently However, where he made the statement that he just doesn't, he doesn't really get anything out of church. He says, it's not how I learn. It's, it's not how I grow. And so he said, people asked him, does he go to church? And he said, not very much. Because that's just not how I learn. And I read that and I thought, I think he's missed the boat there. What does, that's not how I learn have to do with anything? Isn't it possible that God is trying to speak into his life through ways that he doesn't normally learn? And that church is just so important and being together is so important that whether it's comfortable or not, we do it. And you and I struggle with the same thing, not just picking on him. We do the same thing. You know, often when we're on vacation and we go to other churches, it's hard for us because we love the way we do worship here. We love being a part of of how we come together and and things. And and we love that. And quite frankly, sometimes I walk out of other places and I'm just feeling judgmental about it. Why'd they do that? And why'd they do that? And what was that about? And lately, God's really convicting me, saying, what is wrong with you? You know, I'm speaking to you. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, it, it makes you feel uncomfortable. So what? That's the whole point. And God is continually bringing things into our lives that make us feel uncomfortable. And instead of rejecting them and running from them, we ought to be embracing them because God is in them and he's wanting to challenge us and work in us. Think about the religious leaders. Jesus is trying to make them feel uncomfortable so that they will wake up. But they aren't willing to have anything to do with it. And the end result is tragic. 
Part of surrendering our lives and and giving up control is saying, Lord, I don't necessarily like it, but I'm going to embrace the uncomfortable ways that you may want to speak into my heart. And then ultimately, it is choosing choosing to live with a as a humble servant. Humility, servanthood are essential to giving up control. I mean, you read the stories about the religious leaders, I mean it's rooted in arrogance. And they are anything but servants. And Jesus keeps telling his disciples over and over and over again, my kingdom is about serving. It's not about being served, it's about serving. And the cross is about the willingness of Christ to make this humble servant sacrifice for us. And Jesus who goes to the cross calls us to take up our cross and deny ourselves And in humble servanthood, surrender our lives to him. It's that spirit that will make us willing and ready to keep surrendering our lives and giving up control as God leads us to do that. And it's a conscious effort we have to make. We are not naturally humble servants. It is something we ask God to help us become. It is an attitude we choose. Because we want to give up control. Craig Barnes says in one of his books that you you get to these places in life where everything just seems just as you want it to be. You know, the family's just right, the job is just right, everything's in place, and you just want to say, okay, nobody move. Just just stay right where you are. You know that feeling. And he says, in those moments, you better take a picture. Because I guarantee you, it's not going to last. God is continually calling us and and moving us toward another step of abandonment by all the different things that come into our lives. And he does that not because he's just trying to, to make our lives miserable, but because he doesn't want us to settle for that's good enough. His plans for us are so much bigger and greater than what we imagine. And you and I have a tendency to say, you know what, that's pretty good. And all the while God is saying, I want you to live above and beyond pretty good. I want you to know the the deep joy of, of surrendering to me. I want you to know real life that comes from giving up control. I want you to to experience what you were created to experience as my children. So as you think about your life, is there something in particular? Maybe God's been already speaking to you for some time. Maybe it's just come to your mind in this moment. Maybe you'll need to ponder and pray about it in the week ahead. But you sense God saying to you, this is a point that you need to give up control. Are we willing to do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you for wanting more for us than we want for ourselves. We pray, Father, that you will give us grace to continually let go of our lives so that we can live in the fullness of your control. That the grace of Christ 
who went to the cross for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.